Welcome to the Creative Land Podcast Network. Join us as we share our favorite RPGs, one-shot games, tabletop games, reviews of items, and convention panels, and other exciting things that we run into from time to time. Sit back and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Kelly, a.k.a. Trixie from Ragnarok and Roll, a sign to Ragnarok's story, and Tilda Wimblewick from D&D Journey of the 5th Edition. First off, I would just like to say thank you to everyone for listening to our varied adventures, as well as for rating us on iTunes and RPGpodcast.com. If you haven't rated us yet, we would greatly appreciate it if you could. And if you're looking for more ways to support our efforts, we are now on Patreon, a great site where you can help us continue making more podcasts, as well as some special surprises for our patrons. If you can, please look us up at www.patreon.com cppn. Every little bit helps. And again, thank you for listening. Okay, it's for after. I guess we should start. So are these my notes? Those are anybody's notes at once. Are you moderating, Jim? No, absolutely not. I'm not going to attempt to modulate your beautiful young women. (laughs) What a man you would be if you could. I did. I couldn't even help myself. I sit sit home at night. I think, how can I come up with lines to just get just to get Glenda (laughs) Dean? I know, it's awesome. (laughs) Love you. I'm your straight guy. Yes, you are. Are you really? I didn't know that about you. So we can just keep going on, you know. I know, but I don't (laughs) think they're here to see the (laughs) Jim and Linda show. I think we should start down there and everyone should say a little bit about themselves and their awesomeness. Yes. All right. My name is Cynthia Ward. I mostly write science fiction and fantasy. I write some horror, crime, nonfiction. I'm probably best known for the nonfiction writing handbook, Writing the Other Practical Approach, written with uh, Nisi Shaw. Uh, I have a couple of short novels out. The Adventure of the Dr. Florum just came out last month. Uh, my debut in Analog Magazine is in this month's issue, so I'm really excited. And I just want to say everybody who's writing should have Writing the Other, is that what it's called? Yes. Writing the Other in their bookcase, because it's valuable points on writing people other than yourself. Even I have that, because I'm not everybody. <laughs> Thank you very much, Linda. I'm just saying. Hi, I'm Janie Franz. Um, I have 12 titles with Use It Up Publishing. I'm the acquisition editor and one of their content editors for the publisher. I also do uh, proofreading for uh, fantasy flight games, uh, RPG books, booklets. Um, I also do academic editing and business ghostwriting. So I'm all over the map. Um, and I'm going to put this right out here. This is a plotting panel. I'm a pantser, folks. This is um, a how to break the plotting. And, and so, but I will, I will throw in, when I write non, I do have a nonfiction title that I, I've got in the psychologist to make sure that it's, I'm not telling somebody the wrong thing. And he's going to write the preface uh, for it. But that's about the only thing I'll write with an outline. Everything else, I know what's going to happen, it's just... Well, we're going to get into all that kind of detail after we do our introductions. Does it sound like you got something to say? Yeah, take us to the tours. There you go. I'm Carolyn Kay. I primarily write steampunk fantasy, um, but I also do short stories in uh, science fiction as well as a little bit of horror. So I have two novellas out in my shared world, Ashalon, that I work with on my husband. So, um, yeah, that's me. I'm Jim Doty. I write and publish under my initials JL Doty. Uh, I have 10 published novels that are a mix of self published and traditionally published with Open Road Media, HarperCollins. Um, I'm working on my 14th novel and I'm anxiously awaiting the next rejection for my 12th and 13th novels. That's the life of a writer. Yeah, yes, it is. So I'm Linda Addison. I have um, several collections out. I've won four Bram Stokers, um, 
and I was just given the Lifetime Achievement Award this year. I'm currently working on science fiction, so I'm doing a lot of science fiction. This book, How to Recognize a Demon Has Become Your Friend, is a collection of um, science fiction, fantasy, and horror. So it's my sort of everything book, and it won a Bram Stoker, so. Mm -hmm. So, do we need, okay, first of all, how many of you are writers? Just raise your hand. All right, yeah. Like actual writers, writers, or wants to be writers? If you're thinking, dreaming, and wanting to write, you're a writer, honey. Exactly. exactly. There's a difference between writer and published author, but you're a writer. So, do, do we need to go through the seven plots, because I did a one word thing of each one, or do you guys feel okay we just start talking about how to break it? Can no, it be broken? Through it, I would like go through you, it? Okay. I'd like yeah. you to go through it, too, okay. because I'm, I'm just sure I know seven of them, so that's cool. In the beginning, and I've been writing for 40 years or more, um, I knew them by heart. Let me just say, when you know something, then you can break the rules. If you don't know, and you inadvertently break the rules, then it just comes across broken. Okay, so the seven plots are uh, Overcoming the Monster, Rags to Riches, The Quest, Voyage and Return, Comedy, Tragedy, and Rebirth. And um, the basic approach that you'll see if you read about this is that every story becomes one of these things. Just like they say every story and movie has to have three acts, right? So uh, I think the thing about this panel is can you write without being, you know, totally defined by one of these? Someone said once, it wasn't me, but they said there's seven basic plots and Plato wrote them all. They've all been there before. Yeah. Well, what was number three? Three was the quest. Can you just read those again one time? Sure, no problem. Because you can look them up. They're really, it's really good to know them, like I said, because then if you break it, you, at least you understand what you're doing. Uh, the first one is Overcoming the Monster. The second is Rags to Riches. The third is The Quest. The fourth is Voyage and Return. The fifth is Comedy. The sixth is Tragedy. And the seventh is rebirth. And, and once you look at this and you leave this room, think about the books you've read. They, they probably fall into this. Movies you've seen are probably fall into mixes of this. But OK, let, let it begin. I might suggest that you might want to define comedy in this context, because you are probably talking about the, the theatrical Well, I think people can look up the details, but I'll be happy if you want to bring that one up. I have the computer here, because like I said, I had this memorized in the beginning, like how to use commas and semicolons, and that was 40 years ago, so I had to look it up. Uh, the definition is light and humorous character with a happy or cheerful ending. Right, because a lot of people I've found, when you say comedy, they're like, oh, I have to write Make like jokes. this ha-ha book with no. a stand-up comedian. Mm -hmm. as, no, it means something like a Shakespearean comedy or a sitcom comedy. Right. I mean, again, like she's saying, it says a dramatic work in which the center, central motif is the triumph over adverse circumstances resulting in a successful or happy conclusion. So it doesn't have to be like someone doing jokes through the whole thing. It's not that. Yeah, there may not be any yeah. humor. So what do y'all think? Comedy. Well, there was um, a writing excuses. They did a whole season on essentially blending all of these different um, plot devices. Um, not only that, but genres as well. So I think you can you can mix and match those really well. You just have to know both of them. Whatever you're gonna mix and match, you have to know it well enough to be able to blend it correctly. Yeah, totally agree. I think a lot of works though, mix and match, you know. It's, yeah. uh, uh, it's hard to find, you know, in good works nowadays that aren't a, a blend. So I think that I think we could probably agree that a blend can be done. But can you do something like, like let's take rag, rags to riches, because I think most people would understand that it's the easiest one, one of the easiest ones to find. And the definition: the poor protagonist acquires power, wealth, and or a mate, loses it, gains it back, growing as a person as a result. So can you? Write something that's a rags to riches, but like not, not hit these points. 
What about riches to rags? You know, don't Rich ask man, me poor man. Yeah, that's yeah. What yeah, I think that would still fall in that because it's I just a yeah, different yeah. You're just swapping it. way of looking at the basic thing. But can you have something like this where they go through that whole thing but they don't grow at the end? Is that an acceptable thing? I would think that all the variations would be acceptable. There's some people get get money and they don't seem to learn anything. I've seen that in the real world. But, but if you write that, would that be satisfying? If you made that movie, would that be satisfying to the reader, to the audience? I think it's like any rule. You can do whatever you want, but you better do it well. Yeah. You, know, you can break all the rules, but, but know the rules before you break them. Yeah. And you you must know, just be... What if you oh, read? So you have to do riches. it well. Yeah. yeah. Let's do it. What if you redefine riches? Truly, like Siddhartha. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely, I agree with that. So, um, I just hi. You had so much. You have such a wealth of background in the different areas. What have you read? Something where someone left out one of the big things, and it was still. I, I think they've. You know, everybody's done these. I mean, I've done them. Although I'm sitting there, I'm while you were going through them, trying to figure out, you know, I've got fantasy, I've got uh, paranormal romance, I've got thrillers, I've got all this, and I've got a new police procedural I'm thinking about doing. Um, but it's going to fit one of these. I mean, I'm sitting there trying to figure out, okay, what was this one about? Would, how would it have fit here? My Lost Song trilogy definitely is a class. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but what if you know this and you decide to leave it out? And the reason I'm bringing this up is that I just had a conversation with Wes. Please ask him about this because I didn't know. It was awesome. And he was saying how a director who did not do the three acts, he only did the first two acts, and this is another great thing as a writer, even if you don't do movies, the three act thing, and I don't have a definition we're not going to talk about, that's not this, but please do look it up because books and stories can also run around three acts. Yeah. And probably someone here knows him by heart. But he did a movie and left out the last act and got a lot of crap in Hollywood over that. Like, he was not, mm, well, yeah, that was not acceptable. You want some sort of resolution. That's what the third act is about. Either it's the climax and then you figure out what happens next. It all builds up to this. But what, but, but he did it without that. He know, he, know. I'm pretty sure he knew what he was doing. Oh, but of course but, he did. But at the same time, Hollywood is just notorious for Breaking rules. demanding, no, demanding no. formulaic oh. performance. Yeah. Yeah. You know, let's the, have another crash bang. Let's take Rocky 47. It's about to come out tomorrow, you know? I want this gentleman here to say something. Does what human nature demand personal growth at the end of what you're writing. So I think that is the absolute taboo, right? You can't That's have the a biggest thing, yes, because it is a very show. human thing to want that happy ending or have that resolved. Mm -hmm. So even if it's not happy ending, it has Something. to be some kind of revelation that happens. Enrichment of the main character. In, right. in, in horror, the resolution is often frequently not happy, but, there, Indeed, but it has to have a resolution. Right. So maybe resolution is a better term for Right. If it's an unresolved plot, people really are disturbed. And I think yeah. that's that's really the point of what we're talking about is that how is the reader and audience going to feel if they don't, if you don't hit some satisfying point and uh, of going through these different seven things? Yes. Sir. Uh, the only thing I can think of uh, where you have books that kind of uh, go outside of this would be like absurdist books. But yeah. Those aren't really. Much nowadays, to my knowledge, like is that something that's kind of like a, a lost art or like a something that set you know set in time, a time and place where it's guys again. Well, I, I think you know that's in literary fiction. I think there's a there's still probably a place for that, but for a general audience, I think people want to find you know, they go to the movies or they read a book to have an experience, and you hope that you learn something to during that experience, because that's one of the best things I loved about reading science fiction as a young person was I learned about things through the story. And I hope I do that a little bit with my fantasy as I learn about things through did, the story. Did you say absur uh, absurdist books? Yes. yes. I, you know, I'm thinking of something like some, something satire, something like 
Board of the Rings by John Belushi and company, uh, written in the 70s, you know, and, and that's not really fiction. That's, that's, that is in a sense, it's kind of like a stand-up comedy routine. It's, it's, it's comedy. Are you thinking of like, like yeah. Parabu, Say that again, I didn't hear what you... I was thinking more like Camus, which, you know, okay, it yeah, is... Right. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, okay. That's where I was thinking. Yeah. Oh, I, 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 all right. I was, oh, I was thinking. Field that. I was thinking of the Dada-esque... That start and all that. The Dada-esque fiction where it just basically is all about, like, how can another random strange thing happen? It wouldn't necessarily fit that well to these seven types of plots. Yes, ma'am. Um, on the three-act structure thing, recently I've been listening to a lot of old folk tales, mm -hmm. and most of them have are structured like start, things happen, and then it suddenly stops. Oh, suddenly stops without it'll, result. It'll have like one paragraph conclusion, and they were so happy, you know, and if it's not for this, they'd probably still be dancing to this day. Usually it's, they get a wife, and then it stops. Mm -hmm. okay. Some of them do follow start of the book, you know, start of the story, middle of the story, happens, end of the solved. story, but usually there is a conclusion, but it kind of just stop, starts mm -hmm. with one sentence, and it's basically stuff happens, and then there's a conclusion. Mm. And I'm thinking that, and you know, the folk tales that came closer to our actual time follow the three act structure a little bit more. I my feeling, and I'll get to you in a minute. I, my feeling about that is that it's written so that the reader has to come to the resolve. It's written to create a moment for the reader to go to make that next step, and then. Because, as in general, as a society, we like to have a happy ending. Like, when I see a movie without a happy ending, I'm like, wow, <laughs> I'm impressed. Because that is not acceptable. But um, I, my feeling is with that is that the idea is to, because folk tales are to teach. That's the whole point. They're to teach children. They're to pass on rules of the society. That's the whole point of no matter what continent it's on. So I think that that idea, yes, ma'am. I had an experience in a reading group, or, and, uh, and it was a science fiction, but it was about a war, the big dynasty, and, and the dynasty won, and so the guy who, the people who lost were kind of um, exiled, and then they spent the whole book, it was the second book, they spent the whole book getting ready, and then they were going to have another war, it looked like, well, maybe they're going to win this time and throw out the dynasty. They had a big party. Everybody got drunk on both sides. And that was the end of the book. And a lot of the people in wow. our group thought it was OK. And I was like, hmm. That sounds more like my college years. I'm not sure about that. There's no resolution to that. I'm not sure about that myself. I was like, well, what did they have? Did they win the war? What happened? I thought you were going to say then. One side got the other drunk. drunk. That's yeah. what I thought. Oh, yeah. That's where I thought that no, was going. They got like, better. Troy, they killed you know. them all when they got the other side. They got a drunk, they pushed in the wood horse, everybody got on the horse and beat them up. But, but, but oh. was a pretty big guy, wasn't it? <coughs> but aren't you, aren't you, fr weren't you frustrated more by, again, it's the lack of resolution? Yes. yes. I was very yes. frustrated. I think that's kind but of fun. other people in the group were I think that's kind of fundamental to the whole, to a story arc. Yeah. yeah. Well, I know. One and that's of the, probably, I, I think possibly that's the one element you can't leave out. Yeah, I think one of the things that I found too, when I first started writing, I got with this series, I was with another publisher, and I got lumped into the romance category. I do not write romance, okay? I wish it, I did, because that's some money. Oh, I know, <laughs> I know. Uh, but I do write about relationships, okay? And But mine are, you know, you in the book and you know there's a big shoe waiting to just drop into things and by the second book it's like well yeah that did happen let's find out where the next big shoe is but I had people say to me you don't write romance no I don't write romance but your endings end and you know there is resolution but there always is that something mm. and I think it's probably because it's life. Mm -hmm. We have resolution to a point, but we don't have total resolution because Real if we life, did, we don't. Real life, yeah, we don't. if we did, we'd all be going to heaven then, you know, or yes. to hell or wherever we're going to end up because it's been done. Yeah. Closure is a myth. Yeah, it is. Yeah, uh, back there. Yeah, I just wanted to ask her um, that uh, novel that Eddie was discarding. Mm -hmm. Was that like the second book of the trilogy? Yes. 
Well, I don't know if it was a trilogy, but I think it was a big writer. But what I was surprised at was the whole group thought it was okay. Again, you know what, everything is so subjective. Yes. You know, because for them, perhaps there was some resolution emotionally that you did not come to naturally. Like you were talking about folks' tales in the beginning that didn't have the end. Because when a reader reads your work, they're emotionally getting plugged in with their own needs and wants and desires and unresolved things. And some people will work through that and some don't. But, but he brought up a good point if it was like this. The, the, second book. the first or second book in a trilogy. The, 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 there's the whole thing of the cliffhanger, and that's completely different from lack of which resolution. Is, which is right. a pause sometimes. Yeah. True. Right. You yeah. Know. Which can be annoying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think of it as an inexperienced writer. It's like because they want you to get the third book or the second book. What do you think about and that? And I think there should be sort some sort of independent, full story in the book that they. Yeah. I would agree something should tie off because when I right. read books that just come to a cold stop and it's like, look, a cliffhanger, I have never read the next book or the rest of the series. Ooh, because you may okay. I, 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 I can think of I can it's think like of. hitting a wall, you know, because you think something's gonna I don't expect I you know, I understand cliffhangers and I've seen Carol Pauline when I was a kid and they used to still show serials of the movies, but it's like but like a cold stop for everything and then Netflix will do that with their series. They'll resolve a little bit in each episode, but you don't get the big overall overarching story doesn't end until that third. See, I almost did that one time, and I I I left a book in the middle of a series with a big cliffhanger, and I didn't like it. And so I went back, and what I did was I did have some serious resolution to some of the issues yes. in this story. Yes. And then, you know, it was kind of my instincts were saying, no, I can't do it this way. It feels so I had some serious resolution. Yes. And then yes. the cliffhanger was almost like an epilogue that where one big plot element kind of was setting up the next book. Yeah. To me, it's kind of an issue of trust, where I have trusted you through hundreds of pages. Yeah. Oh, and, and you know, <laughs> no, and I, I totally and I just I drew, I had a map. I drove along in my car. You you increased the pace so that my car sped up, and then I ran into a wall. And it's kind of like I know you're a good writer, but I just don't want to hit. And a wall. I think that's why people have. And, it, and I think again, it's a very human need. No matter what, where you grew up on this planet, it's a very human need to go through a story and want resolve, <laughs> even if we live in our lives without it. We want it. But you mentioned a very important word in that. You said the pace. Mm -hmm. And yes, I think yes, the yes. pace creates an expectation. And if Definitely. the pace if the pace near the end of the third book is creating an expectation for some serious resolution, right. then the cliffhanger is disappointing. But if your pace is that this is still gonna be going on, you haven't mm -hmm. set up an unrealized expectation. Yes, yeah, the pace will, will hit things. Everything is going to like Full speed ahead in the sense that everything is going to come together, or most things are going to come together in some way, even if there's a sequel book. But if you just hit a wall on every like yeah. plot and subplot and, and thread, it's just kind of like. And occasionally, this happens because the author finds that the publisher has cut the book in half. Yeah. And well, the author can't do anything about it at that point, and that's I think that's horrible of the publisher to do that. Or that has been known to happen. Yes, sir. I was just gonna say, I think the perfect example of like a, doing the pace even when things are like going really fast is the end of uh, The Empire Strikes Back. You know, because, uh, you know, you're left with like things going really fast and if it would have stopped five minutes earlier, then it would have been that wall. Yeah. You no, know, there would have still had to have been more story, but they're like, we gotta throw in a little bit of a- Hope. You know. And that's and I think that that is again like if you're writing a series, I look at it like chains, like you're creating a chain, right? Yeah. So you don't want, I don't think you want everything to resolve in the first book. Otherwise, why would someone read the second book? I'm I'm not a, a you know I've done a lot of poetry and short stories, and that's where I've made my name. But now I'm moving into novels, and I'm finishing up one book now in science fiction. But I have a three book sci-fi series, trilogy that I'm working on. I did one and a half books. What I found, and I didn't design this ahead of time, I don't design, I write very organically, but, and if you write, 
I, I would say take these seven things and look at what you've done. You find that you often are doing it anyway. But what I found in the three books is that the first one is a coming of age. The second one is a so and so. The last one is a return. And I didn't plan that. But what happens at the end of each of those three is that I resolve to some enough degree, I hope, you will be a judge, the, <laughs> the coming of age story, but leave something in there to, to indicate that there is another journey that's going to happen in the second book. But the coming of age one that has been going on does come to some point. Correct, so, correct, correct me if I'm wrong, Empire Strikes Back was the second in that first trilogy. Mm -hmm. And there, there's, I, I see it very commonly in trilogies that's been going on for about 20, 30 years now, 40 years, where the first book has a lot more resolution near the end, but doesn't resolve the whole plot. And then the second book very commonly has much less resolution going into the third book. And you know, books are doing that, and they do that. Do you think that. that's like a natural? I, th I see it just commonly. It's, it's not uncommon, and Star Wars, that first you know, that first trilogy, which was the second in the sequence because the first one really happened before, I'm all confused now, but you know what I mean. <laughs> he, they, knew they, all, right. he knew all six books when he did right. those. He yeah. knew but they, what all six but they commonly, were I see that really commonly in, 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 I think even the publisher when they broke up Tolkien's book into three books found a way of kind of doing that at the end of the second book. It left you with there was more resolution at the end of the first book, not complete resolution. Then the second book really left you with kind of more of a cliffhanger. And, and so I think that's not an uncommon theme uh, in, you know, in the last 30 or 40 years, where the yeah. second book does have less resolution and more of a cliffhanger. There's kind of a, a lot of people think that in trilogies, the second books are often, they're kind of a bridge and they can be kind of saggy. <laughs> and there's, you know, I've heard the expression second book doldrums. I really want to want to I want to board that real bad. Thank you guys for bringing that up. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. For me, um, I tend to enjoy uh, works much more when they do break over or at least bend them nicely. But like you were saying with the pace, it's giving you certain expectations. Um, you can fiddle around with standards and break all the rules you want, but there needs to be something in there, kind of like the Chantal and Mule case. Even if I don't recognize it when I first read it, something that's going to linger in the back of my brain to tell me that this is going to get broken, or that it's going to be an abrupt end, and I'm going to have to buy the next book. Yeah. If you can set me up from the beginning so it's not such a shock, yeah, I think that's that's a big part of writing is finding out how you're doing that pacing and how you're going to resolve. I'll give you an example. I just was a second edit, editor reader for 600 stories. Okay. Oh my. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So. <laughs> oh my gosh. So when I finished it, I came up, and I'm sorry I didn't bring. Oh, I might have it on here. I came up with eight things to look at my stories when I go back. Because my first book is uh, science fiction, is linked stories in the same universe, whatever. Because what I found were these kinds of things. One, the pacing would be like, the first paragraph would be great, boom, we're in, and then there's a five page, um, um, Exposition. Look back, look back. Oh, flashback. flashback. You know what? No. Okay. So, <laughs> then the, one that, the ones that got me were the ones that were beautiful, pacing, writing all the way through, and then at the end, what? No. <laughs> I mean, there's just some things, and I, like I said, I came up, I put them on my Facebook page, but I, I have them in my little checklist when I rewrite to make sure my stories don't do that because it's really important. I was, I was, I was you can do a flashback, but it's yeah. got to be short and it's got to have energy. Yeah, and even the really bizarre movies that the entire thing is nothing but time jumps here and there and everywhere. Um, again, I'm okay with that, but let me know what's coming or do yes. the movie that way. Don't yes. promise me you're going to give me this beautiful linear thing and then suddenly say, Exactly. Oh, I, I have. I have, I have become very, con I don't do too many flashbacks, but I've become very conscious of when you do one and making it 
a really obvious transition so that because I hate it when I when I'm wait wait I'm confused now I thought we were and uh, I, I really dislike that that and you should never have the reader thinking I'm confused right. you're, you're dropping them out of the story so yeah. I become very conscious of when it's a when I'm going to do a flashback and I don't do too many I'll make the transition really obvious for the reader so that they're comfortable knowing you know maybe He's standing at the window and he thought back to that day nine years ago. Scene break. You kind of yes. set it up. That kind of thing helps the reader in it. And I think it's very important. I have some other tips. Could everyone talk about flashbacks? Because I think this is really important. I love flashback what you Flashback is said. very important and I do have Your some approach. observations yeah. on it. Uh, years ago I took a, a course from the, from the uh, agent and also writer Donald Moss, which is about writing the breakout novel, and he talks about yeah, that's a great things book. you should not do if you want to do, if you want to write a breakout novel. Not, it's not, don't do this in any novel, it's don't do this in a breakout novel. But one of the things he says is like, don't do flashbacks. Or at least don't do them at the beginning because he, he made the point in a movie when there's a flashback, everything tells you. The lighting changes. You're in a, you know, you go from a room to, you know, the top of a, the Grand Canyon or, you know, different characters or at least some different characters. Everything in a movie will tell you it's a flashback and people are very sophisticated now at following that even if there's a lot of them. Like, you know, most people can follow Quentin Tarantino whose timelines are completely chopped up and remixed. But in a book, what happens, and if you start reading for this, which I did after hearing this and taking this class, if you start reading books and stories and a flashback happens, like right away or like in the first chapter, maybe the first few chapters, it does slow you down. His point was not that flashbacks are bad. It was in a breakout novel, especially at the beginning, do not have a flashback because somebody has just come into your book, they're trying to figure out where they are, and then you pull the rug out from under them and you're in a different place, maybe with all completely different characters, and the readers slow down because they have to stop. They basically stop. You never want them to slow down. They have I, to stop to figure out what the hell is going on now. This is different. And I then when you come out of that. To the letter, I completely agree with you. Yeah, and then you come out of it, and then the, the reader, again, because they're not watching a movie, they have to completely reorient again. Mm -hmm. So they should, I'm not saying don't use them, I'm saying use flashbacks in prose very carefully because they're the only cues people have, and you're right, they need to be crystal clear because it's so easy. We think our writing is obvious, and then when I went, I was Only accepted at wrote it. yeah, I was yeah. accepted at Clarion West '92, and I thought my fiction is so obvious that's what I'm going to be critiqued for. And what I heard over and over again is that, well, what's going on? And that's, <laughs> so, that's that happens. What do you guys have anything else to add to this flashback? How to do it well? How not to do it? I only used one flashback in one of my books, and now that I I think about it, I probably shouldn't have done it. But um, is the book published? Yes. All right. It then. was okay then. You won. That's what I say. Leave the past the past. It's out there the yeah, next time. Bought it, and I wrote two more books. You know, it I'm wasn't one saying. of these. It was my uh, one of my other series. But you know, I was young. Uh, this was an old manuscript that I updated, and it launched the rest of the series with it. But sometimes you need them. I mean, I have. Things in the in this these are short novels or novellas. I have things where she thinks back to something because it's necessary and then comes forward on time. How about you? Yeah, I don't necessarily do flashbacks. I'll do callbacks, especially like in the the second book in a series. You kind of do have to call back to the first one just to kind of remind the reader about something. Yeah, but there I try and keep them super short. You know, and and like a simple reference to you know my main character. Is in, ends up in the middle of an airship battle in, in the first book, and so which really impacts her going into the second one, and so that I call back to that, but I don't give you know a full flashback. I'll do a little bit like you know she because she has PTSD, so for her she actually does get a flashback, but mm -hmm. it, I try and frame it in the point of so it's consistent with the character, right? Emotional. So her vision goes red, and and all she can hear is the roar of a cannonball in her ear that kind of stuff, but I don't like literally relive that whole scene again. I just give the little snippets that really kind of impact her, so. Sounds like a good way to go. Just a second. 
I was just, I was just wondering with like the opening scene and then flashback. I'm wondering if that isn't a um, lazy editor or writer who really wanted to start the book where they wanted to start it, but some, but the editor said, "Oh no, you may have to start on an action scene." And we have to move that kind of... Well, here's what I think is the rule in general. And like I said, you can break a rule if you know the rule. You do have to start and get the person's attention. And I can tell you this yeah. from reading 600 stories. Like, yeah. I, I was but like, it doesn't have to be an action scene. No, but it has to be something that emotionally grabs the person. Right. It can even be the language. It can be a dialogue, but the language, the, the first line the character says as the story open pulls you right in. Right. The thing is that... What I found is that yes, you can do flashbacks, but you gotta know what you're doing and you gotta do it with energy and it can't be long. And in fact, I will say again, the book that she mentioned, I have that book. Um, writing the Breakout Novel. Writing the Breakout Novel, really good book to read. And again, I'm not one to live by rules, so I'm never gonna say you shouldn't have a flashback on the first page. I have read some stories in the 600 batch that did have a flashback on the first page, but it was handled in a beautiful way that didn't throw me out of it. It probably was maybe more of a callback. I actually never heard that term. So, But I, I yeah. there is a tendency to wanna to do that. And I, I think every book I've ever written I had a flashback on the first page, and every book I've ever written, I eliminated it mm. and, and made it a more linear thing. You know, mm. I think there is a kind of a laziness. You're getting in there, and oh, I need some backstory. It's all flashback real quick, and then you know, long before I get to the final edit, I've, I've expunged those. Yeah, I just think you have to have enough in the beginning to keep the reader involved. Then, if you decide to flashback, they've already are in it. Right, so you can flashback, but don't let that flashback slow down. Because let me tell you, out of six hundred, if that flashback slow down, no. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't the final vote. There were a bunch of people reading, but. Mm. Um, I have always been told if you have to have a flashback, no more than three short paragraphs. I mean, do you do you feel that's a lot? Yes. No more than what? Lot. I'm sorry. Three no short, three 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 short, short paragraphs. paragraphs. That's a I lot. I'm thinking one, but. <laughs> Um, two. Uh, I did I, the one I was referring to. I, I, it was a very important flashback, and it was the beginning of the fourth, of fourth and final book in a series. And the villain, there's, there's kind of a, it's almost a prologue. It's like three or four pages at the beginning of the book where he is standing at a window in this castle, and he's looking down, and his mother is tending the flowers at his brother's graves. And um, this sets up a whole bunch of backstory that was hinted at through the first three books. And he then recalls the day 15 years earlier when he murdered that brother, that his mother is tending the flowers at the grave. Now scene break. And then I go into a whole chapter where you see the, the whole setup for this very evil murder that he does. But it's, that was in the only work because it was the first chapter in the fourth book of the series and by then this was a, a key element where I was filling in a bunch of stuff that I yeah. hinted at. I can okay. see that. By the way, just to say this, I don't think this is the flashback panel, but I appreciate all this good stuff. I'm writing down notes. Can, and can we, I know, we got like, it's 1141, we got to be out here 1155. Do we have any, like, Opinion on whether you can break these plot things or you have to work by them. Dude, you're not even on the panel, but go ahead. Uh, I, did a, I did a historical novel, but what happened is you transition in time from the history that's involved to the person that's fighting what that history brought on. But each, each chapter is headed with the time and where it occurs. That's really useful when you're doing that kind of structure. Yeah. So mm -hmm. if we're in 1943, there's a scene that happens in 1943 that opens, and then you transition to where this guy is now haunted by what he did. Mm -hmm. And the story is really about overcoming the demons that were created at that time. Well, this is a, an excellent structure, and also the same thing if, you're, if your book is like, Four characters. I just read, I'm going to mess up his name so bad, I'm sorry. Gabino is. Iglesias. Thank you. He, just, he has a new book out called Coyote Songs, which I read in blurb. 
I think every human being on this planet, especially this country, should read it. But it's about, it's not about animal coyotes, it's about the coyotes, the people who bring people from Mexico in these trucks. I mean, this book oh, wow. broke me in paces I didn't even know could be broken. But it put me back together again. But he has, he goes through like four or five characters. Each chapter, if it's a, whatever character is, is named for that character. So you're never lost when you go in. You don't have to guess with the first line. So I think structure is really important as far as keeping the um, reader involved. But what do we think? Can you break the plot thing? Again, I say what I said earlier. As you do say, if you, you know the rules well, well enough. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, but I think we're all going to you know, absorb some of this as we write. Truly. And it depends on you know, structure, how, however you do it. Sometimes there are prologues that are necessary that happened in the past, like in 1943, that's a whole chapter by itself, then you go to what's happening now and why that is important. Um, and I think, uh, I was talking earlier, um, plotter, plan, you know, Pancer. outliners, pantsers, um, you know, I've, I looked at this as, um, people who write outlines can sometimes go directly through the outline or they can write scenes. It's kind of like filming a movie. You film whatever, when the light's good or when you can get the crew here for that so you can write those things. I'm more like a stage actress as I write because I found out that when I've done community theater, if it starts out wrong at the beginning, it's gonna go awful at the end because the pacing just isn't there mm -hmm. so and I that's so important the third book in here um, there was a scene I wanted to write so badly oh oh I have to write this and I said no you can't well you, you can write what? and save it in a file somewhere well no well this is what happened because it's about that pacing because of all of the things and the nature of the characters that happened before when I got to that scene it was about that, but the energy about the scene was very, very different. And that was a big lesson to me because then I realized this is my process. This is how I have to do it. And I think when we plot, we have an idea of where it's going to go, whether we're a pantser or we write an outline, and we're going to use some of these elements, um, and we're going to twist it. But I think it's subconscious, as you're saying. I mean, and that, I mean, I'm not going to say for everybody, but I think it can be subconscious because it is a natural way for people. I love to experiment, so I will go and do something different just because I want to see if I can. You think exactly. it's all readers trust, though. So if you're consistent in breaking the plot, as long as the reader trusts that you're following that and that has to do with consistency. Yeah. I think I would go along, but I've read a bunch of books where they try to switch it up halfway through, or it's not consistent, or the ending falls And you're out. thrown out, and you're like, no. yeah. But I think, I think that all comes down to, I don't think it's an issue of breaking those plot rules. It's an issue of breaking the rules of, of good writing. You, you, yes, you maintain pace, and, and you, your pace sets an expectation in the reader for what's going to come next. And so you, you if you're going to shift, you need to shift the pace you need to shift all sorts of things the readers expectations you need to to guide them into the fact that you're going to break it and that's where i think we we make mistakes it's not it's not breaking the rules of the plot structure it's breaking the rules of of of, of good storytelling right. and good right. writing absolutely where we screw up absolutely and, you know so i think you can break all those rules but you don't get to break you don't get to make sudden transitions in pace unless you planned on it, and there's a good reason for that. And you yeah. do it well. And you do it well, but you you know you have to pace expect readers' expectations. Um, you know, uh, setting up flashbacks. All these things are what, and make, I think it, what big, make it possible for you. And I think that as a writer, um, again, it's really important to read about the basis of these things. Right. Because, like I said, I've been doing this for over 40 years. This short story collection that I'm writing now, I have no idea when I started each story how it was going to end. I had no idea. This is the first time I've ever done this. 
I just sat down and it came out. Why? I think because at 40 years of writing, exactly. subconsciously, yeah. it's just coming like a song through my brain. And now I'm almost 95% done. And these stories are all intertwined. I'm honestly not going to ever be able to explain how that happened. But again, it's because I've read so much and I think, and I continue to. I'm always trying to learn. I'm always trying to get better. I'm, you know, so I think it's, 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 I don't really believe you should read one of these and say, oh, I'm going to write a quest thing, read the rules and write it. I think you should write and then read what and look at how it comes together with what you've written and, and learn these things and let it become a subconscious thing because I think it is a very human-based need to tell a story, to have a resolve, to have someone go through a hard-ass time and then get better, things get better. I mean... That's a very human kind of system. I think that's why these things even became defined. Yes. Um, and I think we've seen a trend of people saying, you know what, no, I want the, the story to be resolved. I want some kind of actual plot in literary fiction. Um, in the past like 20, 30 years, a lot of literary fiction has essentially just been character studies or, mm. you know, there's no real resolution, often there's no real plot, and the books that are, are best sellers right now are technically genre books. You know, the Gone Girl. It's I like mystery. how you think. The Martian. I don't want that to be so true. Is sci-fi. Yeah. And I think part of the reason, you know, and the genre people are going, yeah, those are good. And the literary fiction people are going, oh, this is the best thing ever. Well, because it has a story. It has a story. That's and exactly so, right. I will admit I am really biased against literary fiction. I, I do not like modern literary fiction for the most part. But okay. um, I think that it's been kind of a cool trend that, you know what? We tried this experiment where we didn't follow the rules, and we want the rules to be followed. I, I consider myself really ignorant because I pick up modern literary fiction. And I go, "Well, oh, I'm bored." Yeah. <laughs> and, and I've also seen. I, I know there's something wrong with me. Yeah, people coming out of MFA programs, you know, often sound like everybody's writing the same thing, and you know, because I used to read a lot of literature in like the New Yorker and. and I still do. <laughs> I often get to that no point. And it's like, <laughs> like okay, why? No. Why did I just waste, you know, all this time reading this? Yeah, it's I done so I subtly. Well. I think that, like, there are people who are getting some something out of it, but I'm not that kind of reader. I mean, Raymond Carver is like, everybody's like, yeah. you know, and he does, I'm not, this is not a put down of Raymond Carver, who's right. a, who is an excellent writer, but, like, I would read them and I would be like, and my boyfriend is a big fan of his, and I know a lot of science fiction writers I love him. I've read learned so much from him, but so many of his endings, I'm like, to me, it just seems to stop. I don't have the key to whatever is giving orgasms. Like your life is not forcing you there. I know it's, it's subjective. Know. Listen, we got five minutes left. I would like, if you were to, because I know I got something to say. If you would like to take a minute and or what or so and say what your next great project is that people should know about. Oh, well, I guess the Ducks Belorum just came out, so I'm kind of on a bad site there, but it, it actually got us started. Oh, she's making it. can't oh, believe it. It just came yeah. out. I well, do have to. That's kind of something you can't buy. Yeah. 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 I am planning two more books of the series, but my publisher currently isn't taking manuscripts in, so I can't give it to them till they open again. But eventually there will be two more in this series about Dracula, Dracula's dumpier half-vampire, half-human daughter and her adventures. They're mashups. Like, if you've seen or read The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen or the Walt Disney yes. books of Philip mm -hmm. uh, Jose Farmer, it's that kind of thing. So Dracula's daughter has a relationship with the... With the uh, the Countess Karnstein, better known as the Vampiress Carmilla, and you know, the War of the Worlds technology and so okay. forth. So I think they're fun pulp adventures, and cool. this has been out a while, but Linda has already spoken on it. And everywhere I go. Oh, I should yeah. mention, I have a couple for sale, and uh, David Lee Summers is selling, he has more copies for sale. Okay, that's your minute. Soon. Next. <laughs> I'm the oldest of nine. I'm sorry. I can't okay. help. Yes, 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 ma'am. Um, I have a book just out uh, in September. It's the third book in my Ruins series, which is uh, paranormal archaeology 
romance thriller kind of thing. Oh boy. Um, and um, it's in your program if you, they're digital. If you get that one, you can get the first book that does have the flashback. For 99 cents. I'm currently write, uh, researching the fourth book in that Ruins series, um, and it will also spark a spinoff, which is my police procedure, paranormal police procedural that I'll be doing with that one, which is about um, uh, an Apache female lawyer in the police area. Oh, girl, I need your imagination. I like all that um, stuff. Yeah, it's kind of fun. Um, I'm currently trying to finish up a um, time warp uh, novel about going into the future that's actually a feudal society. Um, and then I have a series I've started that's my paranormal cozy mysteries, which is about an 80-year-old nerd woman from Tennessee who goes to North Dakota to fight the baddies, and you can't use garlic and that sort of thing. You! I am a crazy woman! I'm telling you, I am! You are so busy! Yes. Nice. Um, I'm finishing up the third book in my Gallisol Tales uh, trilogy. Hopefully that'll be out early next year. Um, and then I will be embarking on a four-book, four-author, co-written series about uh, Oriental steampunk. Excellent. Oh, yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, I'm working on the second book in the Black Sword Regiment, which is um, hard science fiction. Uh, I'm working on the second book in the Valley of Bones series, which is a fantasy set in a Georgian setting. It's subtitled The, uh, the Witch of Valdosa, Her Apprentice, The Thief, and the Harlot. Uh, I'm, I'm working on the third book in the Treason Cycle, which is dark, hard science fiction. And uh, I, I, I follow John Voorhees' rules, just keep having the Klingons bust through the doors with phasers. <laughs> I don't have any Klingons in it. So mine is real simple. Right now, um, there is a GoFund building for a film that started yesterday filming of a script that was inspired by a poem that I wrote. I know, right? Wow. And it's called, I know, come on now. And it's called Morning Meal. The, the poem is called Morning Meal. Morning as morning lost, not good morning America. And uh, the, the movie is, it's a short film. So, you know, if you got five dollars, just saying, on my site, Lynette Addison Poet. Hook me up. What's the name of the film, is it? Morning Meal. M-E-A-L. Uh, yeah, like eating. You said GoFundMe. Yes, but you can also get you can find it in GoFundMe, or you can go to my site, Lynn Addison Poet, and there'll be a link. Please. <laughs> it started yesterday, and the person doing it is an amazing, um, award-winning uh, producer, and he did his script. Has actually won awards already. So come on now. Join the team. Okay, that's it. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. And feel free to enjoy our other shows, such as D&D Journey of the Fifth Edition and Scion Ragnarok and Roll, a Scion hero to Ragnarok story. Thank you for listening. Oh, and we have cards and bookmarks and, oh, I have a collector's card. Yeah. Who's the hard-winning poet that has a collector's card? Who's that? <laughs>